0: second sermon in a new sermon series through the Gospel of John. Today we're coming to verses 6 through 13. So if you're just joining us or new, this is a great time to be jumping into this new series, Gospel of John chapter 1. In a few minutes here we're going to read verses 6 to 13, just have that ready. About a year ago um, or so, uh, I, I had lunch with two guys that I know and these uh, two guys were in the same industry, and it was one of, like many industries, an industry that was hit really hard with the recession, and uh, both of these guys at that time a year ago were out of work, and so they were uh, commiserating about their industry and talking about, uh, you know, who do you know, and what's working, and what's going on out there, and is there any activity, and this kind of thing, and and just trying to encourage each other and commiserate a little bit about the the struggles that they were facing in business. And uh, so I, you know, I I wanted to get in on the conversation, but I'm, you know, not in their industry or whatever. So I said, I just threw out one of those kind of pastor comments. I I said, so, uh, you know, tell me, how does your, how does faith fit into this equation for you guys as you wrestle with these things? I mean, it was pretty innocuous innocuous question. It wasn't like I said, "Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb, brother," or anything like that. I wasn't being super Baptisty. I just, um, you know, it's kind of a general faith question, like as kind of harmless as you can be. Where does faith fit into this whole conversation about about jobs? I just wanted to hear where they were coming from because I didn't really know. And one of the guys uh, mentioned that faith that faith is really, you know, something that helps some people. But, but then he said, bottom line, though, is there is no plan. There's no purpose. There's no reason. There's no s- sort of master plan in any of this. Just things happen. Life is tough. You deal with it the best you can, and you suck it up, and you be a man, and you deal with it. That's life. And there is no plan. And, uh, and so, you know, yeah, if God is there and if you believe in him, that's great. But when it comes down to it, it's just dealing with life yourself. And as I I listened to him, it it struck me that I I think he probably has a view of God that I I would guess, I mean, I don't have any statistics to prove this, but I would hypothesize based on my experiences that probably a a lot of people maybe in our region of the country do in New England. I, I think a lot of people around here in New England, well, we do know this statistically, have grown up in churches, have gone to churches, have been religiously educated in different ways. And perhaps they believe that there is a God, but when it comes to actually living here in this world, there's this gap between where God is and where our lives are here, and God doesn't communicate or interfere. He's just doing his thing, and and we're struggling along doing our thing. And so, yeah, you go to church, and maybe that's helpful or not, but then you go, and there's a real life over here that we deal with, and God isn't involved in that. I was thinking it's kind of like those... uh, Occupy Wall Street protesters, you know. God is the 1% up in his penthouse somewhere, unaffected, insulated from all of the woes that the common human beings are struggling with. And we're the 99%, Occupy Earth. And uh, we we protest, and God, where are you? And, you know, we carry our little signs around. It doesn't matter, you know. God, is he's doing his thing, and we're here. And, and I think for many people... Uh, there's a sense maybe that's a little over dramatic, but there's a sense in which God is disconnected. God is distant from where we are today. Last Sunday we started looking at John chapter one, and certainly the first few verses of John give us a very exalted, lofty a high and lifted up picture of who Jesus is. You know, look at John 1, 1 to 2. You can't get much higher than this. In the beginning was the Word. John calls Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we talked last Sunday about the mystery of the Trinity, that that Jesus is with God while simultaneously being was God, and he's in the beginning. And, and, you know, how much more high and exalted can you get than in the beginning being with God and was God? that's his as high, metaphysically speaking, that anyone can be. That's the uttermost pinnacle. And so maybe you'd read that and you'd say, wow, I guess God really is way, way, way up there and we're way, way down here. And though you look at verses four and five though, we studied this last Sunday as well, you realize that's not the case. Because not only is he way up there, but also verse four, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And so, yes, he is God. He's with God. He was God from the beginning. But at the same time, the light is shining forth into the darkness. It, he didn't stay there, but he went forth and shined forth. And so as we come to our text this morning, this morning we're going to move on and look at verses 6 to 13. What we see in verses 6 to 13 is is this kind of description of the the outward, downward movement of the light of Jesus into our world. And what we see is not a God who is aloof, distant, detached, but a God who is shining and invading our world. And so let me just read our verses and then we'll uh, dig into it a little bit. Let me read verses 6 to 13. There came a man... but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here's a picture of God coming in, shining forth, drawing near. It's a different kind of picture than perhaps we sometimes think of God. Notice that God connects, God reaches out in two primary ways in these verses, in verse, especially verses six through nine. There are two ways in which God is coming and, and reaching out and connecting to us. The first one is this, God sends, God sends people. Look at verse six, there was a man who was sent from God. And so God reaches down to us, number one, and most importantly, by, uh, first and foremost, by sending people to speak, his messengers, his prophets. And this one of these guys was named John. Now, now, who's this John? It's John the Baptist, all right? Not to be confused with John the Apostle, one of the 12 disciples who wrote the gospel of John. So uh, John calls him here just John because he is John, so he writes about the other John. So this is John the Baptist. And as we know, God sent John the Baptist to come and testify that Jesus was about to come. Uh, John was there to talk about the light. He wasn't the light, but he was pointing to the light. Uh, I kind of think of John like, um, you know, if we're going to use light imagery here. John is sort of like the morning star heralding the, the coming of the dawn. You know, the morning star, well, it's actually not a star. It's actually a planet. It's the planet Venus. And in the morning before sunrise on a clear sky, you can look up and see Venus low on the horizon shining brightly and, uh, and it's because the sun is about to rise. And we know that, the, that Venus is not actually a star. It doesn't actually shine on its own. You know, John is not the light, but, but it's reflecting the light of the sunrise back to us. And, and so that's who John was. He was that morning star telling the world, there to testify that, that the light was coming to the world, that Jesus was coming. And this is the point. God had sent him. God had sent John. And really, John was just the last of a long line of people that God had been sending. You go back to the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is just the story of all the guys that God has been sending. You know, he sent Noah, and he sent Abraham, and Moses, and... Isaiah and Jeremiah and Samuel and all these prophets, all of them come. So God is not sort of detached up in his penthouse, uncaring about the people down on the street. But he's been sending uh, staffers (laughs) down to talk to us. And they've been coming and they've been saying, hey, the creator has a message. God has something to say. And these prophets have come with messages from God. Sometimes we've listened to them, sometimes we haven't. And then they wrote down what they had to say in this book we call the Old Testament. So when John the Baptist comes along, he's the last Old Testament prophet. He's the last in that whole line of Old Testament prophets who were telling us that the Messiah was coming. And then John steps on the scene and his job as the Old Testament prophet is to say, and now here's, you know, Jesus. He's finally here. And, and John prepares the way. And prepares the way spiritually for the Israelites, uh, for the people of Israel, the Jews, to receive and to be ready for Jesus to come. But it didn't just stop there. God didn't stop sending people after John and after Jesus. He then had the 12 apostles. And Jesus sent them out into the world. And said, you guys now go testify. And one of those people was the apostle John who wrote this gospel. You know, the reason John wrote this gospel was so that we would have more testimony from God about who Jesus is. So the Old Testament prophets pointed forward to Jesus. The New Testament apostles point back to Jesus. And they're all testifying, saying this is the light. Um, in fact, do this. Put a bookmark here in John 1 and turn over to John chapter 20 turn to the end of the book. At the, end of John chapter, uh, at the end of the book, John chapter 20 verse 30, we have a purpose statement for why John wrote this book. In modern books, we typically put the purpose statement at the beginning of the book in the introduction. You know, you write your introduction. This is why I I was moved to write this book for these reasons. But here in John, he puts it at the end of the book. If you look at verse 30, it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote this book so that we could believe that Jesus is who he said he is. This is a written record of the life of Jesus so that we might believe and be saved. Now notice it's the same kind of language going back to John chapter 1 verse 7 that we find for John the Baptist. He came to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. The goal is for people to believe in Jesus so God has been sending spokesmen. he's not just way up there he's here and not only have they been speaking some of what they said has been written down so sometimes we wonder you know God where are you why aren't you speaking and it's like he has been speaking you you know we we want here to hear from God we wanted to know that God is there but we want it on our terms not on his terms but, you know he has been speaking it's like that old you know you, you know this old joke it's super corny but it's the old joke about the uh, the guy is on the roof of his house during the flood and uh you know he's standing there on his house and you know the flood waters are rising and and he's you know praying to god god if you're there you need to save me and you know along comes the canoe and the guy in the canoe says get in the boat you know and he says no god's gonna save me i'm waiting on god and then the guy in the motorboat comes along Get in the boat. No, God's going to save me. The helicopter comes along, you know, you down there, get in the basket. No, God's going to save me. And you know the joke, the, guy, the floodwaters rise, the guy is swept away, he drowns. He suddenly finds himself standing in God's presence in judgment. And he says, but God, I, you know, I, I asked you to prove yourself and, you know, you, you didn't save me. And God says, like, what do you mean? I sent a, a canoe, I sent you a motorboat, and I sent you a helicopter. Like, w- what more did you need? And I think sometimes we, we have that approach to God. Like, if God is real, I wish God would do this. And why doesn't God do that? And God, you know, why aren't you speaking? And, and sitting on the shelf, you know, is his word. And so we need to, you know, do this and maybe, you know. <laughs> you know, okay. And we don't do that. I'm amazed, uh, or just sort of an observation coming to New England, how many people in New England have grown up in churches, have been to different kinds of churches, have been to religious education, but will tell me, you know, I, I really don't know anything about the Bible. And they've been in those situations for decades, but they'll say, but you know, this is, I, I've never really studied the Bible. This is really interesting that we're studying the Bible. Like, how can that be? I, I don't know, but that's how it is. And, and is it surprising that we have skepticism toward God, that we have skepticism toward these things, but we've never listened to any of the evidence that, that he had to say? You know, it's, it's like we're in a courtroom and, and we won't allow a body of evidence, and then we say, well, there's no case for God. Well, he's given testimony. You've got to at least... Listen to it and check it out and observe what he has to say. But God has not only sent spokesmen, he's not only sent prophets and apostles, they've not only written it down, not only do we have their writings of, of God's, tes, uh, God's testimony through these people, but this is the amazing story of the, the New Testament is that God himself is not only sending, but he's also shining. That he himself has come. He he didn't just send his guys, his staffers, but he's come down among us. God has been with us. Jesus is God in the flesh, walking among us. You know, look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So you get a hint that the light is shining. It gets stronger in verse 9. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So not only did he send, but he shone. The light came into our world. And then next week, uh, verse 14, we'll get there next Sunday, but wow, verse 14 is is just the uh, the amazing verse where it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What an incredible passage of Scripture. Verse 1, you got the Trinity. Verse 14, you got the Incarnation. I mean, how much can John pack into... A few verses of scripture, all this incredible theology and simple language, it's just jammed in there. You you know, John 1, 1 to 18 is like a five guys burger. You know, it's like, how how, how did they jam so much gooey goodness between two buns, right? It's like, how how did John get so, I'm hungry. How much did, um, (laughs) did John put into these verses about Jesus and with the most simple, elegant language The word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh, simple language, and yet such profound truths being communicated. It's very elegant, uh, almost poetic. And so, the light has come, the true light is shining in the world. And notice verse 9, the true light, do you see that? Not just any light, but the true light. That's another theme in John that we're going to see as we trace some of the threads throughout John's gospel is that Jesus claims uniqueness. He's not just a light or one light or one way to the light or a light that works for me, but he's the true light. That word true light, the the idea is he's the genuine light. He's the real light. He's the legit light. He's the actual thing and the others aren't, which is kind of fascinating that John would take such what I would say is a common, almost universal metaphor that's used in almost all religions that's used commonly in all kinds of different philosophical systems, that's used commonly in literature and in the arts. I mean, light and darkness. I mean, You know, it's in New Age thought. They talk about light and dark. It's in philosophy. And you know, I think of Plato, you know, that this world we live in the cave inside the shadows and outside of the cave is the ideal world. And, and all we see are the, the shadows being projected on the wall of the cave, you know, light and dark. I mean, it's in Star Wars, for crying out loud, you know? You don't know the power of the dark side. It's, it's everywhere. So John takes a very common, a very almost universally obvious metaphor of light and darkness, and then he makes it very exclusive. He, he takes a universal thing that everyone should know, and he says, okay, but here's the deal. Actually, there's only one true light. His name is Jesus. Because he alone was God in the flesh. And this, this claim is going to run throughout John's gospel. It's going to get Jesus into a lot of trouble. Because he's going to claim, hey, if you reject me, you reject God. If you say no to Jesus, you said no to God. There's no other loophole way around it. Because he is the light in this world. So, God is here. He is sent he has shined. He sent his prophets. He himself came in the flesh. This is not a detached, distant God who's uninvolved. No, he is engaged. So I was having that lunch with my friend, and, you know, he's like, ah, you know, faith, maybe that helps you, but whatever. Bottom line, there's no plan. It's just random. You just have to deal with it. There's no plan. And so I, I, I thought about it, and I, I said, well, um, I said, what, what if... I responded to him, what if, just let's pretend, you're totally wrong. And I was like, what if there is a plan? And I just kind of put it out there. And, and he said, huh, you know, and, and think about that. What, what if? What if the problem isn't a detached, aloof, distant God? What if the problem is a closed world? What if God is speaking? The problem is we're not receiving. What if the real issue is blind eyes, closed ears, closed mind, cold shoulder, hard heart? What if God really is communicating and we're like the person on the roof in the flood? Like, ah, that's not it. That's not it. Prove it. Prove it. Ah, I don't buy it. You know, God's really got to show me. You know, know, what if if that's really the problem? And in fact, that's how John portrays it. It's that you know, the shoe's kind of on the other foot. The real problem is our own hearts. It's in the world. Look at verses 10 and 11. He, he's back to the word, Jesus, he was in the world. The creator of the world was here. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It's not because he was, in disguise. It's just because it was the hostility toward him. The world, uh, you know, he was in the world and the world rejected him. Now that word world, very important word in John. That's one of those words you kind of need to circle every time you see it in John. John, John uses the word world in a very specific theological sense. Uh, The the Greek word for world is cosmos, uh, from which we get our word Cosmos. Uh, from which we get our word cosmic, cosmopolitan, you know, all those kinds of words. Uh, and, And just like as in English, in Greek, the word world has a broad range of meanings. It can refer to the physical world. It can refer to the universe. It can refer to the, the inhabited world. It can refer to the people of the world. It has a lot of meanings. And same thing with the Greek word. It can mean all those different things. And, but John, and this is really important as, we're, as we study John going forward, whenever John uses that word world, in most of the cases, not every single one, but in most of the cases, it has a negative theological meaning. What it means when John uses it is humanity in resistance against God. Humanity in rebellion against God. Humanity with its dukes up towards heaven. Humanity with its ears plugged and its eyes closed going, no, 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 I'm not listening. Humanity saying no to God. That's what the world means in John. It's It's a very hostile kind of image. You know, look back at verse 5. He says, the light shines in the darkness. Verse 10, um, or, or verse 9 then, he says, the true light was coming into the world. So darkness and world have a kind of parallelism there. And look at verse 10. Look at the response of the world. The world did not recognize him. Verse 11, the world did not receive him. The world is, is closed. You know, the, you could shine the light as brightly as you want, But if I'm blind, I still won't see it. You can amp it up to a a million lumens. It could be a billion lumens. I mean, maybe I'd get a suntan at that point, but I'm not going to see anything because the problem isn't the intensity of the light or the purity of the light. The problem is my rods and cones aren't working the way they're supposed to work. Um, you, You know, you can thunder forth the word of God, but if my inner ear is not there, I'm not going to hear it. God could show up before us, but but if our hearts are hard, and even if he does miracles or gives us evidences or brings coincidences in our lives, we can just go, I don't know, that's probably just a weird coincidence. I don't know, you know, I could just be hallucinating. I mean, I don't know. You know, you could always be a skeptic. Being a skeptic is so easy. I wish I was a skeptic. It just takes no effort. Anything anyone says, you just go, I don't know, prove it. You know, it's like... No sweat. You just prove it, prove it, prove it, you know. Well, you disprove it. You know, you can't. So it, it's it's one of those things. So our hearts are hard. Our hearts are closed. And, and we don't want to hear it. We, we don't want to hear what God has to say. Um, that's the problem with the world. It's a spiritual problem, and John's going to confront that. About a month ago, I bumped into my friend again the same guy I'd, I'd had lunch with, and uh, I was actually walking, and he had his car there. He pulled up, and I'm like, how you doing? He has a job now. I'm like, how's the job? And we talked a little bit, and and he said to me, uh, he, he goes, you know how a year ago, y- y- you said, what if there is a plan? I was like, you remember that from a year ago. I was like, yeah, I, I remember saying that. He said, well, even if there is a plan, even if I grant you that, he, he goes, "He goes, how could we ever know it? How could we ever find it out? And and I said, well, you, you know, you, you do have to put forth a little effort, man. <laughs> you, you can't just sit there. You, you need to receive. You need to look and search. You know, he was set, uh, and he kind of looked at me and was like, huh. You know? And then the conversation went on. But, but the problem is, you know, again, we have to receive. We, we have to be open to this. We have to, to recognize it. But here's the amazing thing that even in the midst of this world system which recognizes, uh, does not recognize Jesus, even though overall the universal response to Jesus is no, you are not the son of God, you are not the savior of the world, you are not the true light, you are not with God, was God in the beginning, you are not the one who saves us, even though that's the world's response, there has been a subset within the world, a small uh, inner circle, there have been some who have received him. Verse 12, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. There are some who have received him. Have you received Jesus? How do you receive Jesus? I know how to receive a pass in football. I I know how to receive a a UPS delivery, but like how do you, how do you receive Jesus? Like what do I sign for that? Like what, what do I do? H- how do I receive him? Well, to those who receive him, to all who believed in his name. Okay, so receiving him is about believing in his name. And, and believing here is not just believing that there was a historical person who lived named Jesus, but it's believing in him for yourself. It's trusting him putting your faith in him, in everything that he says he is. It's believing that he is with God, was God, that he is the creator, that he's the true light, that he's the only light, that he became flesh. Or, or like it says in verse 29, look, look ahead at verse 29. Can't wait to preach this verse. It's so awesome. Verse 29, the same chapter. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Believing in him is believing that he's the lamb of God, like those old sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament that were sacrificed to atone for sin. He's the lamb of God who's coming to be sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. My sin, I'm part of the world. He came to die for me. That's, you have to, if you don't believe that, that he died for sins and that you're a sinner, then then th- then you can't be saved, but that's how we're saved is by believing. And you say, well, there's got to be more to it than that. I mean, isn't there there's some, you know, really rigorous program I have to go through or some class, or or to be saved, don't I have to stand up in front of the whole church and tell my story, or, or to be saved, don't I have to, you know, do this, that, and the other thing? No, you just have to believe in Christ. In fact, look at uh, John chapter 6. Turn to John chapter 6, verse 28. I can't wait to preach John 6. Oh, John 6 is amazing. Love John 6. Look at John 6, verse 28. So here's the Jews talking to Jesus. They they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? What, What does God require of you? Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe. And the one He has sent to believe. Salvation is by faith in Christ. And isn't it awesome that all who receive him, anyone can receive him. There's there's no, you know, pre-qualifying application. (laughs) Just wherever you're at. You can receive him. And don't you love that it's just believing? It's not like, well, if if you've screwed up your life this much, then first you have to get this much back together before you're ready to, to then receive him. No, just believe. Anyone who receives him and believes in him. Believing. You can believe anywhere. You can believe in the shower. You can believe commuting to work in the car. You can believe sitting in science class. You can believe in your pew right now. It's just receiving and believing Christ. It's salvation through faith in Christ. That's how we receive it. And what happens when we receive Jesus as the Lamb of God, the true light? What happens when we receive him? It says he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, adoption, more theology, the Trinity, the incarnation, adoption. I can't take any more. It's too good. We've become children of God. So I was in the world. I was part of the world. I was a spiritual orphan. I was in the the world foster system. And I've been adopted into God's family. He's taken me and now I have a completely new identity. I'm a child of God. From darkness to light, from fatherlessness to sharing with Jesus and being a son of God. It's amazing. God is still at work in the world. You know, the church is evidence of God's work in the world. The church is people who have been rescued from darkness into light, been saved, and are now the children of God, and then they join together in families. The church is one of the greatest evidences of God's reality in the world today. It's the people who have become children of God who are knit together as a family. A church is to be a family doesn't matter how big the church is, whether it's in New England or in Zimbabwe, when Christians get together, they're family and they form a church and and they show that new identity to the world. And how do we become children of God? Well, he brings it home in verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, not physical children, not physically being born of God, of being born, but spiritually born of God. How do you go from being close-minded, blind, deaf, hard-hearted to receiving him? How do you do that? God has to change your heart. and That's another theme in John. That you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. That Jesus not only came to wash away our sins, but for those whom he chose and died for, he also sends his spirit into their hearts to make them born again so that we're born of God, and, and that's the story of the gospel. You know, I, I hope you come back tonight. I really would uh, almost plead with you to come back tonight for our worship service at 630, our baptism service. We're going to, not just because we're going to use the baptismal for the first time, um, the baptistry, but uh, just to hear the stories, like Mary Ellen's story and other stories of people who were in darkness, and they've met Jesus, and they've come to the light. And that's the real stuff. I mean, you know, if, if, you're, if you feel skeptical, you know, uh, toward all these things, and you wonder, is it real? Like, just come and hear the people who today are continuing to come to Christ and how their lives are continuing to be changed from the world to the family of God simply by believing and receiving Christ. Come and hear it for yourself. It's an amazing thing. So I had uh, breakfast with my friend on Tuesday. We were hanging out talking and there's a, uh, we're talking about all kinds of stuff, but there's this young man we both know who's just making some really stupid decisions and we're really both concerned about this young man and where his life is headed and and, uh, my friend was like, yeah, I've talked to this kid and I've tried to encourage him to go, go down the right path and... I said yeah I know we're we're concerned for him too. I said you know our family was talking about him at dinner the other night and, and I just said can we, let's just stop and pray for him. So we stopped our family dinner and we just prayed for this this young man. And and I told my friend I said you know we got to pray for him because God can change his heart. God can change his life. And that's really the answer is that is that Jesus needs to save him and and my friend you know was like huh <laughs> And what I didn't tell my friend was, and I'm praying for you too. (laughs) That's okay though. We agreed to have breakfast again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come into the world. Thank you that you are here. Oh, thank you that salvation is by your work, not ours. Lord, I could never get it together enough even to make a decent showing. Lord, I thank you that it is simply by believing in you. Thank you, Jesus. You did all the work. You came, you died, you were buried, you rose, you kept the law. You are the one who's done the work. And thank you, Lord, our work is just to believe and to receive you. So, Lord, give us hearts that can believe. Give us a new birth. Even that, Lord, you have to do. So Lord, give us new hearts, give us faith. God, I pray that the pilot light of faith would kick on in the cold furnaces of our souls. That the pilot light of love for Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would kick it on and that then we might begin to worship and love you. That new flames of love for Christ would warm our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's sing our closing song.